welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. And look, I know I'm switching it up, but bear with me. This episode is brought to you by Anderson Hauser, which they are the leading supplier of measurement instrumentation with a full offering of process solutions for flow, level, pressure, analytics, temperature, recording, and digital communications, and much more. Their excellence lies within their localized USA manufacturing and expansive representative network for product and application expertise in your local area. Learn more about Anderson Hauser at us.andres.com. The link will be in the show notes. Perfect. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon, the one on Britmore, because there's multiple and I'll explain why afterwards. Well, I'm with Jeff Peoples, freelance writer, podcast host of the Mission Zero podcast and founder and CEO of the newly launched Sentinel Safety. How's life in Jeff's world this morning? Well, I'm in Houston, Texas. The weather's beautiful. Everything <laughs> is. is good. Yeah. What could more could I ask? That's it's it, perfect. Man. No, you know what I mean? Like, we're just so blessed and fortunate. And I mean, anyone who's here in, I mean, heck, the U.S. and yeah, especially Texas, you got to wake up and be grateful every single day, man, because it could be a ton worse. There are almost every other place is worse than living in Texas right now. <laughs> and I mean it, globally. Yeah, Texas is the place to be. It is. It's, I'm it, from it, Georgia, and I'm sure someone from Georgia, from my hometown, is going to hear this and have some ill will towards me for saying that. But, you know, there's a reason I never came back. There you, you know? go. So it's wonderful here, yeah. No, it is. And aside, just, you know, the people, you know, the way we've managed through all this mess over the last couple of years, it's a great place to be. I have friends from Canada that message me almost every day asking if I can get them a job down here in Texas because the way things are up in Canada, it's a bit challenging for folks. But nonetheless, we're not here to talk about that specifically, but I did want to mention there are more than one cannons. And I say that jokingly because Jeff went to the wrong one, which is totally fine. I'm going to take blame for that because I should have made sure he knew which one to go to. But for the listeners who've been listening for a while, I had Alex Gross on a few months ago, and he's the chief commercial officer at the Canon. And they just have so many services to offer. Like most people come here and there's cool offices. They got a big screen TV, you know, a bunch of shared work areas and offices. But like they have like financial services. They have services to help startups get access to capital. I mean, they just have a team of people that can help companies grow and scale with so many different avenues are so connected with the city and different things. So if anyone out there as a startup or a scaling company, check out their website and just check out everything they have to offer because they have access to so many resources that can help companies. It's fascinating. And they have multiple locations too, which obviously Jeff, he was able to go to one of them. <laughs> I explored one of them this morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good, brothers. So anyway, I think we've probably you know known of each other on LinkedIn and social media for a while now, but we met for lunch mm -hmm. with JP Warren. And everyone knows JP. If you don't, check him out on LinkedIn. He's got a wonderful podcast, Energy Crew, and then he's got Crew Connection, which is a great networking he's essentially, awesome. yeah, company that he's he's, he's built. Anyway, big shout out to JP. That's my buddy. And so we met for lunch and he's hey, why don't you come meet Jeff Peoples? He's a great guy, this and that. And I went, you know, of course, on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, I think I know who this is. We met for lunch. We hit it off. And you were all fired up because you were about to go to Tulum for like a month, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell yeah. what was that about? Well, it was a little bit about a few things, I guess. You know, one, I'm a part of an organization called the Explorers Club. Cool. And I tell people it's a total nerd out thing. So a lot of people don't know about it. It's not mainstream. But, you know, me being in the Explorers Club was a completely 
freaky way I got in there. I shouldn't be. What is it, first of all? It's like the American version of the Royal National Geographic Society. This is how distinguished it is. Okay. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a member. Josh Gates is a member, host of Expedition Unknown. Wow. What's her name? Jane Goodall was the president for many years. It's an organization that I absolutely do not deserve to be a part of. <laughs> and I've told people this, I'm like, I do not deserve to be a part of this thing, but I am. And I take full advantage of it. So I get to know yeah. some of the most fascinating people on earth doing explorations and surveys and expeditions around the world that don't come out in magazines till years later, right? Yeah, so I was able to get down there and I tended to do cave exploration. I had my cavern certification. I thought I was going to get down there. I know the archaeologists. I was going to be able to explore some of the underwater caves there. You know, most people see the cenotes, right? But they don't get under there where there's a shocking amount of underwater Miles and miles of it, right? What? Oh, it's completely submerged. That is and crazy. I get down there and I was like, okay, I just got to get my cave one certification. I'll be able to do it. Like, no, you got to get cave one and two. So almost my entire time down there, I was doing certification. And <laughs> oh, it is really? difficult. Cave diving is incredibly dangerous. I mean, this isn't something you can take lightly. You got to really, really be on top of cave certification. So I got to be that and I actually ended up, by the time I got to actually do it, I was able to survey about 650 square meters of previously unexplored cave. No way. Found some bones. Waiting on waiting on the feedback from it. Come so, on. Oh, it you never fun. explained that over lunch. You oh. said you were going there as like basically just like a timeout. Well, I mean, because I didn't really know for sure at the time. Yeah. I was in back and forth with them. And I got to, Dude, while I was so doing that, I got to work on a site that they found down there in the, uh, the, the Belize border in that area for a little bit that they believe is Olmec, which was amazing because there's not much found of Olmec except some giant head statues. Olmec's the culture that came before. It came before the Mayans and the Aztecs. It was the predecessor to them. Yeah. So I got to have fun with that. And I also got to, you know, one of the things was, you know, a reset for me, a mental reset. Yeah. It's been a tough few years and a mental reset and also to lose some weight because I had gotten to the point where I was, my health wasn't good. My family history of health, you know, was, is a scary situation. So okay. I decided to boot camp it and ended up losing about 14 pounds while I was down there. Good for you, man. Got on a mostly vegetarian and fruit diet, which I very much recommend. Yeah. It has changed my life. And just to touch on that, I'm big into health and fitness, so I love these conversations. And a lot of times people go all in on that kind of stuff and think that, I mean, to me, for the most people, it's not sustainable. But what it does do is it's a good reset, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you commit yourself for whether it's 8, 12, 16 weeks, whatever the case, yeah, you can get some tremendous results. And just the fact that you're eliminating so many inflammatory type foods, mm-hmm. it's I encourage it for anyone. And if you can't go that long, try it for, you know, a day. And then if you can do a day, then wait a couple of weeks and do it for two days. And then, you know, for you to do, how long did you do it for the whole time you were there? Uh, the whole time I was there. Wow. Good I, did, I drank, I had like three days where I had alcohol. Right. Like Which I didn't is do the tough Tulum to do in thing. Mexico. It's yeah. tough to do in Tulum. And yeah, that's too. They like to have fun in Tulum. So yeah. but I stayed away from that. Good and, for you. But, you know. You said it's tough to sustain. It's been easy to sustain. Sure. So I'm not doing a total vegetarian diet. Depends I'm not on doing your that. environment, though, I would imagine. I'm doing pescatarian. Yeah. This is essentially what it is. And I allow myself another meat serving. I allow myself red meat once every, like a red meat serving every three or four days. Yeah. And a dessert every week. Yeah. So it, it's a balance. It's, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And you cannot be socially weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I need to eat meat, if I need to be in a situation where I need to have a drink, I can do yeah. it. I think the extreme causes extreme reactions. Yes. Extreme reactions cause extreme reactions. So if you go that hard, you're going to fall that hard. So just you know, so find true. a balance to it. You know, and I find that so much. And again, I say this because it's the only industry I've ever worked in. But in the oil field, you get guys 
or ladies for that matter, that, you know, they're in college, you know, and they're athletes, whatever, and they do good. And then next thing you know, they're sitting in the office and they're eating and, and 10 years goes by and they're like, oh, I, I need to get back into shape. It's just, I, I've let myself go. And then they go so, they lean so hard one way, they lose a bunch of weight. They're so excited for two, three months. And then they like hit this wall and then they go all, like they swing way the other way mm. and then they gain all this weight back and this is like swinging back and forth back and forth and it, I always laugh and in our office it was like okay we're gonna do a bet who can lose most weight and it's like the 80 20 rule I apply to almost anything in life anything. but like 80 percent of the time eat well and, and do something that you can just like sustain for hopefully ever with maybe some minor tweaks here and there but yeah I think we have a problem with trying to you know again swing one way or the other and so you're talking about extremes in 2019, I elected to not have any alcohol for the entire year. It was like more of a mental challenge. I didn't have like a problem, See, I but like I, that. the discipline prop. That's answer. what I love those types of, yeah. yeah, like mental discipline, like, okay. And it's not impossible. It's just like, do you have the mental discipline to commit to making a decision and sticking with it? And mm -hmm. I did. And the funny thing is, and people are like, oh, it must be so hard. And I said, the hard part is not not drinking it's having to explain to everyone that you don't have a drinking problem because yeah. i didn't have a drinking problem yeah. but it's in having to explain no I, i'm not an aa no i didn't have like a near-death experience no i don't have health issues i literally just woke up really hung over on new year's day and my daughter wanted to play and i was too hung over to play with her and i'm mm. like i'm gonna go a year without having this be an issue yeah. and i did and it was fine and then awesome. you know here i am now i'm a casual drinker again and then it's fine so, yeah i'm sticking to it socially though yeah, good for I you. I keep it out of my house. I don't keep bottles anymore. Yeah. Because it's just great. too damn easy to go home and, ooh, I had a bad day or had a long day and right. just pour that glass. And we call it a shot, but it's really three, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, oh, that's a nice Woodford Reserve right there. And, yeah. you know, I did a study, my a personal study. Like I used my fitness watch, mm. right? And, you know, who knows if it's accurate, but it is consistent. Right. Right. And so it judged how you're sleeping, right? It judged the sleeping, it judged time and, REM cycle, right? REM cycle. Yes. And if I had more than two drinks, that sleep deteriorated a lot every yes. single time. Like mm -hmm. if you have more than one or two drinks, it deteriorates more and more every time. So you think you're sleeping, you're not yeah. sleep. You know, shout out to, you know, Dr. Chad Palmer, my buddy I grew up with. He told me about that. He goes, look, you think alcohol is helping you, but all it does is lowering you down until you get to sleep but it's really mm. constantly messing your body up throughout the entire night big time yeah anyone who has a wearable that tracks sleep i'm the same way i've been wearing a whoop since the end of 2017 but yeah tracking sleep and seeing cause and effect on sleep and doing things i can have one glass of wine and if it's within about a two hour window of going to bed my sleep is completely disrupted and yeah. i may not feel it but looking at the data and looking at like my deep sleep around everything else yeah and so it, it makes a difference, but it's, yeah, again, not to go down these rabbit holes, but I did a, a great podcast with Jason Moore, who's the founder and CEO of Elite HRV. And we got kind of going into the weeds and that. And again, that's like, if I wasn't in oil and gas, I would be into the health and fitness space because, you know, again, you could tell we're geeked out about it. But I say that to say the mental discipline going to Tulum, it sounds like it was a great trip. You did some yes. cool exploration. Yeah. And yeah, again, you know, we could probably talk about this the entire time, but yeah. I do want to make sure that we get back to basics. It here. was, you know, last thing I say, you know, I got it from Tim Ferriss. You know, I, used I to love be a, Tim Ferriss. I used to be a religious listener to him, still do, read yeah. his blogs and everything. And he called it a mini vacation. Yeah. If you remember his concept of that? Yeah. And it changed everything. I'm a believer in that. I believe oh. just do it and then take some serious time off, not the week long or 10 day vacation. I mean, some time off to where you mentally completely reset. Yeah. 
Because if you take a week off, you're not mentally resetting. It takes takes a while. Yeah. No, that's so true. Because, I mean, everyone's busy, busy. Oh, let's go on a three, like a long weekend trip and just kind of recharge. Well, by the time you wind down and get that anxiety of not looking at your phone every 30 seconds, that takes off in two to three days at least. It took me two to three weeks before the anxiety of not going all day to, 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 to be able to relax. Yeah. It took that long just to get to that point. I don't doubt that so, at all. Yeah. That, wow. That's the last thing I'll say. But yeah, it was, it was an amazing trip. I mean, it was a good trip. I'm trying to figure out where the next one's going to be, but that's there so will be cool. a next one. I just, you know, I talked to the people. We had our annual meeting, the Explorers Club, and Christmas dinner over Christmas, and I talked to some good people. Yeah. And kind of seeing what everybody's doing and where they're at in the world. And I, what I really want to go is to Sundong Cave in Vietnam. It's found about 10 years ago. It's the what? largest cave system in the world. What? It has its own biosphere. Dude. And you've got to, you've repelled 200 yards just to get into the entrance of it. And that's where I'm trying to find a way to get into an exploration of that place. Oh, my goodness. It, Jeff, that's crazy, yeah, dude. it's fun stuff. Oh, my God. If anyone's interested in this stuff, I mean, regardless, connect to Jeff on LinkedIn. And I'm sure if you're interested in this stuff, Jeff would love to talk to you. 100%. Yeah, you're obviously an adventure explorer. You're like the male Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> if Dora had a husband, you'd be it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, before we keep going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing the components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full-frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or just check them out on LinkedIn. They got plenty of content and information on iComplete. Also, we are now doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN for more details on all the events. So Jeff, going to kind of repivot here and talk something about, I always open up with a question that gets people thinking, kind of gets them caught off guard, but it's a good way to get to know a little bit about you. But what core belief have you changed your mind over the last couple of years? This could be personal, business really just anything that comes to mind. Is there anything that's sort of switched on that you're like, you know what? And kind of changed your path a bit. Stop pursuing money. Why? And start pursuing the things that matter. Elaborate. When I was younger, I was very high on intellectuality. I believe that was a core of mine. And I believe that was something that I pursued. And I saw it as, you know, something that it's noble, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want to be educated. You want to be a well-learned person. But, you know, over time, whoever I was surrounding myself with, a combination of different things, people, you know, it became about vanity, it became about money. And then as you get older, you know, you know I'm in my 40s now, you see the other side of life. Mm. Literally, you're halfway there. <laughs> and you start to see, I mean, is this really going to make me, you know, when, when I pass, are people going to be like, oh, well, cool, he made a lot of money. Mm. Or did he care about people? Did he do things for people? Did he wow. do anything important? You know, did he do what he loved and things like that? And so I got away from the history, learning about history. I got away from the archaeology. I got away from basic learning of anything. So in the other big part of that was the, what are you doing for someone else? And, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you hear people talk about older people, whether it be in eulogy or whether it be in real time, or if they're being honored with an award or an honor, you know, People don't talk about how much they earn. They talk about what they did for other people. Mm. That's the only thing that really matters. So I took a hard pivot to that over the last few years to say, okay, look, it's time to make a difference in someone's life. I got a great friend, Brian Townsend, who started and ran Trigger's Toys, which is 
a monumentally successful children's charity. I mean, it's wow. just been unreal. I was blessed to him letting me be a part of it over the last decade, but he started that at like 30 and has built it up to multi-million dollars in donations to hospitals and things like that. I'm like, wow. okay, this guy's, he's making a real difference, right? And so you got to do something in life. You've got to, your priorities have to be a little bit straighter. They can't be money. I believe that in business, if you pursue greatness, you, money will come on its own. Yeah. I used to think that was complete BS. I don't anymore. Oh, and another thing, I used to only want to make a little bit of money to live on. I think, you know, I thought, okay, if I can make this amount, this is my number, right? Yeah. But I realized I can't affect other people's lives with that. So my pursuit now is to achieve enough to affect other people's lives. My life changed almost entirely by the help of other people, by institutions that help, by people that help. I grew up, you know, pretty poor in Georgia. I didn't grow up in, there's no way you could describe my life as privileged in any kind of way. But through the help of other people, I was able to do it. And the people I look to now and say, look, you did this for me. You did this. You're part of the reason. I'm not going to be 70 years old and not anybody on earth going, yeah, Jeff Peoples is the one that helped me do this. Or he he helped me at this point. So, Mm. you know, that's the kind of man I'm looking to be now. So when you ask me that question, yeah, those are the things I changed. And it's probably, I wouldn't say it's recent, but it's probably in the last three to five years. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So you make an interesting point. You said for a long time, I wanted to make a certain, say, achieve a certain level of income that, you know, whatever could pay bills and just allow you to live. But then you realize you needed more to help others. But, mm. and I would agree with that, but I'm sure, you know, we're going to play devil's advocate here is like, why do you need money to help others? Like you could literally walk down the street and help people without money. So elaborate on that. Impact level. Okay. Yeah. You could walk around and help people on a certain level, but with a lot of funds, you can affect it more on a higher level, a bigger level. You know, I've got an idea for a nonprofit that helps poor kids who are geniuses that don't have wow. access to, you know, I've told people that, you know, there are a lot of Einstein sitting around in the trailer parks and ghettos of America. Yeah. They just oh, need somebody to unlock them, yeah. right? Somebody to grab them, put them in the right position, let them do what they can do. So and true, so man. that's one thing that's always interested me is somehow do that. I can't do that with you know, with no funds, I need to be able to look at them and say, look, I'll give you a certain amount of funds to do whatever you want to do and create whatever you want to create. Wow. That's just not if mine. So I think, yeah, you're right. You can do it. And I try to do it on a personal basis now. And sure. if, if someone needs to borrow a little bit of money, let them borrow money. If someone needs to some good advice or some help on something, do it. But really, if you want to affect a whole lot of people's lives, having a lot of, amount of you know, a good amount of funds to do that. Yeah. No. And that's, and if it comes from the heart and it's a selfless act and a selfless sort of pursuit yeah you can make an impact on so many people mm-hmm. and like you said going back to you know when you're older you talk to a lot of people you know you talk about regrets in life and most people they say oh you know don't live in regret but most people would never say oh i regret it i wish i would have worked harder i wish i would have made more money it's yeah i wish i would have spent more time with my kids i wish i would have been able to help others yeah i think a lot of people live their lives as like chasing this dream of whatever you know the american dream is or painted to be but I think that's super admirable and hopefully that resonates with a lot of people. I know it does me, you know, I always say chase happiness, not money. And, you know, ultimately I think people have that backwards and no fault of their own, but you know, you grow up in America and it's, you know, flashy, this flashy, that, and it's hard. I mean, it's just the way life's designed consumerism. It's, you know, that more and more and more mentality. Anyway, the world that's consumes cool. us all. Yeah, no, it's, point. it's so true. And so, um, curious, what would an ideal Friday night look like to you? Assuming you had all the funds in the world you could, let's say, teleport to any place in the world. But if you had the ideal Friday night, what would that look like? Man, I'm going to embarrass myself here. My ideal Friday night, a Friday night, because you just spent the week working. My (laughs) ideal Friday night is to have an early 
drink or dinner in a good conversation with somebody yeah and go home and jump in a hot tub and read a book okay and that's the people make that out to be boring but if you live your life hectic during the week that's not boring that's relaxation mainly because i love saturdays okay saturday mornings yeah. right one of the primary reasons i don't drink on fridays like out late or party you saturday enjoy mornings the morning. yeah. are my best moments of the week saturday mornings like i read that's when i get my reading done that's when i get my exercise done when I relax and take it. So yeah, that's an ideal Friday night for okay. me. So where? At home or like yeah, if you home. could go somewhere and overlook oh, some like crazy view? <clears throat> I mean, that would be neat. A hot tub sitting out in front of a beautiful mountain range. Oh. There you go. Now, see, now we're getting them somewhere. Oh, yeah. Or a lake or a serene lake that's yeah. like crystal clear. You can see the reflection off of it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. If we're going that fantasy. That's what know, I'm saying. Like going anything. To the absolute best. Yeah. Something like that. I'm sure it wouldn't be like a busy city. Yeah. It'd be either somewhere very tranquil. Tranquil. Yeah. And yeah. Like you said, some water nearby. It sounds like mm. you'd like that. I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's relaxing. Awesome. Right. Lower on. that blood pressure, baby. Yeah. Hey, that's it, man. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot going on. And I see a little bit of me and you. I mean, it sounds like you're, and it looks like you're juggling about 80 different things. And so have you always been that type of person who has a ton going on? And No. No? Okay, no. so at what point did that change, and why do you have so much stuff going on? I mean, Well, I did when I was young. Like, I went through a period, especially around college, where I was in the Army. I was in reserves. I was maxing that out the best I could possibly could. I was doing every school I possibly could. I was doing triathlons. I was maxing that out. I was doing college. I almost didn't have a B the entire time. I was at Texas Tech, and it was important to me to achieve. And then I got to a point where... In my late 20s or mid to late 20s, where I think, you know, I had a deployment, a few hiccups in work, you know, work to, okay, what do I want to do in life? And I made a mistake. And that mistake was the paralysis. The mistake was, okay, I don't know what I want to do. So what am I going to do? Nothing wrong. Going hard down the wrong path is a hell of a lot better than going nowhere. Mm. And so, because you, you at least learn some lessons going down the wrong path. Wow. And I didn't learn any lessons. So I, I hit a stall for a, what I would say a decade. And to be honest, you know, it's, you know, digging too much into personal because I do write about it and I do talk about it. it depression set in. Mm. I had a severe bounce of depression and anxiety that I've largely, for the most part, been able to handle. I've gotten a complete grip on it for the last, you know, so many years, but it's something that I've been able to handle. But I feel like there's these things I wanted to do in life. And I spent 10 years not making progress on them. Mm. So I got to make up for 10 years. So I've got to work. I mean, it's work time. It's go time. I yeah. mean, it's it's go time. You know, people, you know, they're worried about, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time. To, yeah, you do. Stay off your phone and stay off Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, yeah. Do, you, do, you, you add up the hours in a year. You if, can accomplish a lot. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Stop the BS and you can. Right. Learn to. Everyone's make, got a good excuse. Everybody's they? got a good excuse. But you look at it. I mean, the ultimate get things done. Look at Elon Musk. He's only running seven companies and going to Mars. And I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. look, I don't want to be him. I don't want to be working 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. But I mean, if you're a quarter of what he does, you're killing it in this world. Yeah. And I'm just mean, time. I don't know if he's human though. He could be, <laughs> he, he could from- be trying to get back home is what he's <laughs> yeah, trying to do. Exactly. So yeah, he, he might not be human, but you know, that's why I'm doing the things I'm doing. These are things I always wanted to do. Yeah. And it's time. Wow. Good for you, man. Let's jump into your business. I mean, mm. I want to talk about the podcast and everything else, but you've come out like a cannon. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about your business. You recently started a safety company. Mm. 
Tell us about that. How's it been going? Well, I worked, co-founded Tomahawk Safety a few years ago. We were essentially an industrial glove company, safety glove company. My partners and investors were from the medical side of the business. They were very successful in diagnostic centers and Mm. different things. So industrial was kind of off their beaten path. And when COVID came, it was good for us because we were in that world to begin with. So we were able to manufacture isolation gowns into the millions. Wow. We actually manufactured them here in the United States, in Houston, and the Tomball area. So we were able to do that for the medical industry. So that felt great. You know, towards the end, you know, Tomahawk was slowly moving its way into being a medical company. And it was time for me to be on my own and do my own thing from the beginning. So that's why I moved away from that and now I'm on my own with Sentinel Safety, which is what I've been developing for a while now. And for you, and what's your ideal market or what market are you pursuing? I mean, oil and gas? or Yeah, medical? it's going to be a big part of it. Less so than in the business I've been in in the past. It's been almost wholly oil and gas focused. Yeah. This time I've got a technology that I've been admiring for years that have never been in North America. Mm. I now will be having that technology in North America for the first time and already have, you know, ready to go with that. And so, and this is fire-resistant clothing that hasn't been here. So it's just oil and gas is one part of it. But, you know, I used to work international in a company in the past with oil and gas. Oil and gas here, the waves are much steeper and the valleys are much deeper. Like, I mean, the peaks are higher, the valleys are lower. Internationally, it's not as much. They don't dive and peak like they do here. But oil and gas, if you depend entirely on oil and gas, that's a tough business because you, planning is terrible because you don't know what is going to be what. So I'm trying to keep it to a certain level outside of oil and gas. So this time around, I'm focused on utility companies, arc flash uniforms for utility companies, hopefully mining and also military. With Tomahawk, I was a minority equity holder, so I wasn't able. To, we weren't able to make Tomahawk and a verified veteran-owned business. But this time, I can because I'm yeah. the majority guy. So Sentinel already is a certified better known company. Okay. So for the listeners out there, if you are part of a company and any of your part of your company wears any type of PPE, mm-hmm. Jeff's your guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. I'll go make it for you if I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the cool thing about being a smaller company. You're flexible. You have the creative control. If someone comes to you and says, I want safety toques or mm-hmm. I guess down here they call them beanies. I don't know. Oh, anyway, yeah. you know, I mean, just whatever, right? Like you can figure yeah, out I've a way to make Canada it. And I've never heard that. So that's, I've been to Canada a lot. I've never <laughs> heard that word before. Toque before. Toques? No. Yeah, it's a, no. it's a you know, no, the, no, a, they call cat. it a beanie, but beanie a, a beanie to me is like what skateboarders used to wear back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, if you have an idea that you need something that's mm-hmm. safe and something that your employees can wear, Jeff's your guy. He can make it for you. We're He'll a Texas company, a veteran-owned company, and I design my products. Yeah. I do not have a design team yet. I do it myself. I did it in the past. Right. Uh, well, you've got the credibility and experience to do yeah. so. Yeah. So, I've, I, like I said, the gloves we had, I designed myself at Tomahawk. I'll be doing that at this company as well in the future. No, that's, so, that is super cool. So I'm curious, and you know, with all the global supply chain challenges, is that something that you're being faced with? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. So how does a company like yourself with, I mean, you're not like one of these massive corporations that mm. can buy just uber amounts of material like how are you getting into where you can actually access really hadn't started yet so it really hadn't started deliverables yet or anything like that just in the you know more or less in the getting it all together phase well you've shown me some samples yeah yeah yeah. so you've got some stuff you can show people yeah stuff i can show people yeah but we don't have you know containers coming or anything like that i think it bottlenecks everyone but I believe it's straightening itself out here pretty soon. A lot of the people having problems are looking for actual, not necessarily making their product, but what they're putting their product in. Like Jack Daniels 
can't find bottles, you know, and it's, you know, that kind of a thing going gotcha. on. But no, everybody is, everybody's behind. Most people buy their textiles in India. You know, the textiles making my cloth come from Italy, some from Japan, but in a tiny bit from India, but most people are from India and they're way behind. Mm. And it's just, you're right. It just is a bottleneck. It seems like it won't go away, but the bigger problem is, you know, inflation, inflation, and also yeah. cost of shipping. Yeah. Shipping container now is almost four times what it was two years ago. Oh, I'm in the, you know, we buy and sell material sourced all from all over the world. So in my industry, in the drilling fluids world, yeah, we're faced with those challenges as well. So yeah. you're speaking my language. It's we're been interesting to say the least. Summertime, maybe we're looking at, you know, an unclenching of that. So hopefully that Yeah, happens. things, hopefully the bottlenecks start to dissipate. I mean, a lot of it too is it's interesting because, and I didn't realize this until doing some research recently, you know, for some stuff internally that I was working on within the company, but I didn't realize with China's sort of zero COVID like initiative that that has been tough for a lot of, you know, employees within China. Like there's a sniffle and they shut the whole port down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they are absolutely or city fanatically yeah. about. Yeah. Like, so there's just a lot of people that aren't working right now, which obviously a lot of stuff originates there. And, you know, so, you know, between congestion and delays, that just has a ripple effect throughout the entire world, which I thought. China, for the most part, was like letting things go. And apparently Omicron hasn't really hit China yet. Mm -mm. So it's... Well, anyway, from the headlines... <laughs> you believe what they say, From yeah. the headlines, that's what, you know, the news is saying. But regardless of your stance and whether it's true or not, but at the end of the day, I would say hopefully once this all kind of pans itself out, maybe good timing for you getting into where you're doing some mass production stuff and hopefully things are have settled out by then. And I'm on a mission to build a glove in America. That's one of my huge goals with this company. Is Everyone build loves Built-in America, right? And they do, until they see the price tag, well, usually. <laughs> that was I mean, about to go there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to find a way to do that. The other problem is is that you know the organizations that can make that, they're not here anymore. There's no skilled workers here anymore. I'm working yeah. with a nonprofit here in Houston that is a group that got together. There are a lot of women coming from the part of the world, like India. They're refugees, right? They're 100% refugees, not immigrants. There's a difference. They didn't come here you know, and under auspices of just horrible conditions. Yeah. Right. And so, but they're skilled workers and they know how they're very well good in textiles. So I'm trying to work with them. I was able to get them a cool. industrial sewing machines donated to their building and now they have a building. So I'm working with them to try to find a way to build one here wow. in the United States. And it's difficult, but you know, I love having that veteran made tag on my products, but I really wanted to make an America tag. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's a point. But my mentor, Mush Khan, if you don't know him, get to know him. He's doing some, he's from Alchemy Industrial. He has really been on the bandwagon of bringing back manufacturing to the United States. I think if we didn't learn the lesson of depending so much on China, I mean, for all of our medicines, for all of yeah. our plastics, for everything, if we didn't learn that lesson, if this didn't teach us, when are we going to learn to bring it back? And people are going to have to, the government's going to have to work with people to figure that out. Like, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, South Carolina went after automotives and they made huge tax deals with these companies. And now Greenville, South Carolina is the automotive Silicon Valley. Figure it out to bring these jobs back. We're not that expensive. And China's not that cheap anymore. Right. There are people, you always hear the Chinese slave market. I've been to many, many manufacturers over there. It's it's slowly changing it's from slow, what I understand. Yes. The conditions are much improved. They're starting to like clamp down on that stuff. Mm -hmm. Even on the emissions side, we noticed there's a lot of mines being shut down because of the emissions and just the conditions that workers are being faced with. They're slowly getting rid of those. Mm -hmm. And again, I've been there. I'm strictly going off of 
you know, news and research that I've done. So mm. I'm sure people are like, no, it's not. It's totally worse, whatever the case may be. But from what I understand, labor costs are going up and they're clamping down to make sure conditions actually meet somewhat of the rest of the world standards. They're about a generation or two behind us now. Okay. Like looking at a factory in China is like looking at a factory in the U.S. in 1972, but the, which is okay. the trajectory is such it's, that it's, it's getting, going up. Yeah. Okay. And the environmental side is going up. And that was important to me. I'm a safety company. Sure. I couldn't course. have my manufacturing to be <laughs> in an unsafe. In an incredibly having people getting fingers chopped off in a factory that's making gloves. It was like, <laughs> no, I can't do really it. Weird. I got I to I make sure it's safe. So I did QC control at Tomahawk. I walked this place over. They had their own water filtration and air filtration in this factory. So, I mean, yeah, that's important to me. Of course. But again... I'm going to find a way to make a glove in the United States. I don't know how long it'll take me or what I got to do to do it, but yeah. it's going to be done eventually. Yeah. Oh, I believe mm-hmm. you will. Well, so for people looking out there again, if you're in the HSC department, even if you're not, if you're in an operations role, just connect with Jeff and pick his brain on safety, PPE, everything. Because again, I, I think he's about to flip the world over here mm-hmm. on the HSC front. Let's chat a little bit about podcasting. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Mission Zero podcast, is that right? And mm-hmm. how long have you had that and what's the mission there? It's been about a year, maybe a little more than a year now. I'll tell you how it came about. I was out in the field with Liberty Oil Field Services in West Texas. Yeah, the frat company? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Great company. And Mark Meadows, their HSC chief, is wonderful. And we were sitting there talking and they were giving me this thing that came with a way to communicate threats, safety threats, yeah. quickly. To everybody, like, oh, we had a spill. They just figured it out, and I don't, I forget the details of it, but it was just them. They figured out something, but it's not going beyond liberty mm. because there's no singular place where ideas are shared about safety and things like that. Right. So I was like, okay, well, let's do that. Let's start a discussion where safety professionals, good safety professionals, people who are proactive in safety can come talk about their philosophies and what their ideas are, and, and safety professionals can listen and go, okay. That's what we've been missing. Yeah. You know, and let's bring that in. And I've got my co host is just for, you know, especially for the industrial side and the oil side is Justin Overstreet. But he's a VP of HSC for Wildcat Oil Tools, which is, oh, nice. you know, a great company too, you know. Yeah. Wonderful company. So that's what the podcast does. I made it pretty diverse. It's health, safety, environmental, and social governance subjects. So okay. for that reason, I wanted to be able to go well beyond an industrial safety person. If you look, I've had, you know, Darius Williams, he's a a cop, a SWAT team cop in Dallas who saw too many people accidentally killing themselves with guns. So he started a gun safety company program. And, you know, this Thursday I'm recording with my buddy Hakeem, who is a fitness expert. And he's worked with professional athletes on functional movement. So that's a part of workplace safety, functional movement, health, strength, things like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So. And, you know, I talked with, you know, I just launched Sabina Colligan, who is a, I nicknamed her the safety professional to the safety professionals. She was this Air Force plane. She was a safety person for them, for the flights. And she's now focused on mindfulness and mental health for safety people because they work like three people's jobs because they're always the first to get their budget cut. So, you know, it gives me a wide array of people, you know? And so, you know, Chris Wright from Liberty, who's the king of, to me, all oil field owes him something because he's been able to make the case for fossil fuels better than anybody I've ever heard. He's got a great voice. I've heard Mm -hmm. him on a couple of podcasts and his delivery and the way he articulates the importance of oil and gas, energy, Mm -hmm. energy security, 
phenomenal. So yeah, if anyone is interested in hearing Chris Wright speak, just Google him on like Spotify or iTunes. Anything. He's been on any news. interview he's been mm-hmm. on has been yeah. fantastic. So yeah, he's a great representative of the oil and gas. Oh uh, yeah, love it. Yeah. Yeah. So and so those are very different voices that I just talked about. Those are very different people, very different fields, and yeah. and that's what the Mission Zero podcast is about. That's so cool. Writing. What do you write about? Definitely nothing about work. That's healthy. <laughs> well, I take that back. The first two when I was working with actually. With Chris, you know, I decided to, you know, his articulation of the case for fossil fuels was something that fascinated me. And also Ron, his chief there too, they really went out and made a case for it. And I decided, you know, everything in this world is totally hyped, overhyped. It's totally misconstrued. Everybody takes something and it goes all the way to two very different ends of the spectrum, right? I knew about the climate. I knew about things, but I didn't know, no. I mean, people think they know things so clearly, but they yeah. really don't. Yeah. So what this writing does is it's taking subjects and drilling it down. Okay, what are the facts? Cool. And it, there's no hype injected into it. There's no emotion injected into it. Okay. And that's why it's called the, I'm, it describes me, you know, practical pragmatist. This is the name of my Substack. stack. And, yeah. uh, no, that's awesome. and if you, and please subscribe, it's free. Uh, How often do you publish? About right? once every two weeks. I yeah. write when I can, but the first article was, I made a two part article about the moral case for fossil fuels. Ah, okay. And so I go through the first one, I go through what really is happening. What really is the situation in the climate in the world? And, what are the other effects? You know, if you were to shut off the oil spigot, what happens to the world? Well, there's some damage there. There's mm. some incredibly bad trade-offs. Yes. And people don't factor that in. And so that was the first one. But, you know, I got an article coming out probably Saturday, if I can put the finishing touches on it, about having deep conversations. Yeah. You know, it had an instance where I was watching a movie or something, and the guy kind of lambasted his lifelong friend for not pursuing a dream. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you've always wanted to do that. Why did you never do that? Well, and I sit there and realized, you know, I'm thinking about my best friends. Do I know their dreams? Do I know their best moments? Do I know their worst moments of their lives? Do I know what they hope and dream for deep down? No. Yeah. And that's pitiful. And so wow. people don't have deep conversations anymore and that's a shame and so that's what this new one is coming out it's about i've written about school shootings i've written about which got a lot of interesting personal messages to me yeah you know what people that really caught people obviously that's an emotional subject but you know that and you know i have just about five or six articles it's long form writing it's not essay it's really long form writing it's not something that's just quick and a short read it's got to be something that you really want to read wow well, what you'll have to do is send me, because you've obviously have multiple things going on, mm. send me all the links okay. to where people can access sure. them, and then we can, they can scroll through the show notes, click whatever they're interested in. And so, yeah, again, I feel like we just scratched the surface here, and it's, you know, we've already blown through 45 minutes. And I only have this place until 10. But with that said, man, this has been absolutely a pleasure. Like I said, we probably could have wrapped for another 45 minutes to an hour, but we'll have to do a round two once you really get going. And maybe we'll, you know, in six months, we'll revisit and see where Sentinel is just taking over the HSC world one FR glove at a time. One set of FR and one set of impact gloves at a time. <laughs> That's it. Made in America, baby. <laughs> and for all the listeners, appreciate all the support. If you could share this episode, this is one of the funnest conversations I've had in, in quite a while. We covered a lot of ground. We never really got to dive deep into any of it. But again, if you want to reach out to Jeff, if you have any questions, Hit them up. And Jeff, I got one last question for you. And this is something that people are always interested in, especially for high performers like yourself. But do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success or your overall sort of functionality of how you do things at such a 
obviously great balance, I think. Gosh, I've got about eight of them. I hate to say that, but it's... What's the most impactful? A nugget that people can say, you know what? I want to try that. One thing I do is talk to people I have, but yeah, make somebody else happy. Yeah. Like see a person that's looking down, compliment them. Right. Oh, that's the funnest thing. Just to do, do yeah. yeah, just do things like that. I mean, random act of kindness kind of thing. Random act of kindness. Yeah. Because, you know, one thing I've always told people is like, you don't realize how much effect you can have on someone's life. Yeah. You, may, you don't realize just a little kind sentence. Yeah. You may prevent suicide. Oh, that's so You may I'm do such it. a big believer. And that. people don't yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's like, no, you really might because, you know, and that's one thing. That's why I don't like the idea of going total work from home. Because some of these people, their work is their social oh, life. You know, and not to cut you off, but so I'm reading a book. It's called, God, oh, of course, now I'm going to forget. I started a couple nights ago, but it's when to cooperate and when to, ah, geez. Anyway, I feel like an idiot not remembering, but they talked about, you know, just the social impact. And I guess there were some studies done that social isolation is a worse form of torture than physical torture. So you isolate someone, I think it's like, 72 hours, if you isolate them in a room by themselves, not allow them to communicate with anything, there's actually worse mental effects from that than there is if you were to like, I don't know, beat someone with a stick or something like that, which again, sounds crazy, but you know, looking like scaling that to the level that we've, you know, done. You can compartmentalize being beat. You can't compartmentalize being lonely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, but yes, and look, you can, you don't have to know the person. Just say something sweet, say something nice, say something funny. Give them attention. Talk to them. Like that right there, my big thing about being a person who helps others is, I don't know, I lost train of my thought there, but it doesn't take much to be nice to someone. It doesn't take much to change their day. I challenge people to do that. Like it really just see someone that you can tell who's struggling and who isn't. Say something nice to them. You can change your life. Yeah. And oh, I know what it was. When I was down and out, it was basically a quote that said, if you're depressed, if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling bad... Everybody in the world goes to, what can I do? Do I eat chocolate? Do I go to the movies? Do I do this? Do something for someone else. Yeah. That's, that's the, the greatest reward and gratification is far. seeing someone else. Do something for far. someone to make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. Do something for someone else. Stop looking to yourself for everything. Yeah. Go out and do something for somebody else. I love it. That's a great way to close out. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.